they have this mechanism, of course, where they want uh, that um, sucking sensation. They want that uh, busyness around the mouth area uh, because they're often wanting to, to, to have their nourishment. They're wanting uh, to be able to, uh, to do just about anything to have uh, something going on around their mouth area, right? And, and I thought about that tonight, and I thought about the opportunity for us to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and to think about children for a little bit. Now, we're not going to be able to talk about uh, the, uh, the other analogy that Paul uses here with regard to the construction of a building, but he does mix his metaphor a little bit when he talks about building up the body. And we're going to talk a lot about the body of Christ tonight as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. And when you see this phenomenon about children listed in the Scripture, in many occasions it's very, very positive. Jesus taking a, children in, a child into his lap and, and talking about the childlikeness of the believer, very, very positive. But here is a reference in Ephesians chapter 4 about the undiscerning nature of the child of God. And here is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor-teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and then this phrase, for building up the body of Christ. Now that's not necessarily talking about the structural side of the analogy. That's going to come later, and it's also in Ephesians 2, and we'll look at that. This is really talking about the sense of the building up of the body using the human body as an analogy. And so he says that pastor teachers have been given by God to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ using this metaphor of the human body to talk about fellow believers who make up the body of Christ. And then he says, this is how this body matures. I can't wait for Jaden Cole, as cute as he is right now, I can't wait for him to grow into full manhood. I just have this, this thing in my heart that says, I can't wait to see this young boy become a man. And of course, I can't wait for him to become a man who loves Christ. And we're going to do everything we can uh, to see that happen by sowing spiritual seed into his life. But one thing is for sure, while they're so cute at this stage, I think every parent and grandparent's heart is to see their people grow up into mature manhood in Christ. And this is what Paul says, verse 13, until we all attain every person in the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, and then notice this, to mature manhood. Or, the Greek text literally, to a full-grown man. To a full-grown man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then I talked about that undiscerning nature, the lack of discretion uh, in a young baby or even a toddler as they try to put everything in their mouth. They're very undiscerning. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine 
by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. This is, this is the blight on the church. This is the blight on the body. When the body is undiscerning, like a, a little child putting everything in his mouth, who's undiscerning about the danger of such a thing that goes in the mouth, something that may be very, very harmful, something that may actually injure that child irreparably. And of course, what Paul does is he bounces off of this analogy or this metaphor of the body of Christ to talk about being children who need to grow up. In fact, he even says in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, and we'll get into this next time as to exactly what that means, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. That's kind of putting it bluntly. We're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, and now we're back to that body analogy again, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. That goes back to the equipping function and nature of those who teach us. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What do you need to do to a young person who is undiscerning, who lacks discretion about what goes into him, sometimes even very harmfully so? You need to teach that young child about the dangers of that which they put into their bodies. And of course, by way of this analogy, we know exactly what Paul is is driving at when he says in verse 14, being tossed to and fro using a different metaphor by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. How does the body of Christ sustain itself? How does the body of Christ grow? How do we grow up in every way into Him? How do we have each part working together properly so the body is built up in love? How do we do that? By knowing God's Word. By knowing the truth of Scripture. Because when you know the truth of Scripture... You are by that knowledge, and he says there, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. That's a unity of sound doctrine. The faith is the body of revealed knowledge. And then he says, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We know how to grow in the body of Christ by not allowing the undiscerning elements of the world to go into our mouths. When we're being fed... We are being fed on the words of the faith, of sound doctrine. We're not being, uh, in a very serious-minded way, deceived by the schemes of Satan. And he can be very prolific, and he can be very cunning, and he can do that which at times looks to us as virtue when it is vice. And there are times when we can become very undiscerning as children of the faith and we are putting things into our mouths and we are lacking discretion as to what's going in there. And of course, it's not just in our mouths by way of the spiritual analogy. analogy, It's what our eyes are pondering. It's what our ears are hearing. 
And we need to be very, very careful because the goal of God is to mature us in the body of Christ so that we are a full-grown man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. No longer being children who are tossed to and fro by the waves, by every wind of doctrine, through the deceitful scheming of the arch enemy of our souls. So that's the point of Ephesians 4. And what I want to do is to show you the importance of how Paul in his other letters over and over and over again brings us to the place of learning and listening and understanding and applying this body analogy to our lives. So I want you to go to Romans chapter 12 and I want you to see the fundamental nature of the anatomy of the body, spiritually speaking, and how we are to fortify ourselves against the schemes of the devil. Now, we've already set the foundation that the schemes of the devil are all about getting us to be undiscerning, to lack discretion, and how do we counteract those schemes? Romans chapter 12, in this very sense of spiritual activities, spiritual ministries, tells us this, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And then here's this analogy or the metaphor of the body. For as in one body we have many members... And the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So we have a sense of solidarity because we are one body in Christ. And we also have a sense of functionality by every individual person in the body doing what makes for the building up of that body. And he says, verse 5, though many, we are one body in Christ. There's indivisibility there. And then he says, and individually members of one another. That's, while we're talking about indivisibility, we're also talking about individuality. We all don't have the same function. We all function differently in the body of Christ. But all of us, pulling together so that we're ministering in the body using these opportunities, these service, these ministry orientations so that we are working together. That's one way that Satan will not have his way with us when everybody's working and functioning individually with the individuality of how God has made us, how He's fashioned us, how He's given us uniquenesses so that we can minister to the body as only we can, and then the body grows and develops with the mutuality of our ministry to and for and with one another. All right? How about 1 Corinthians 12? 1 Corinthians 12. This is how we counteract the schemes of Satan by knowing our roles, by pursuing ministry with one another, He says in verse 4, for instance, now there are varieties of gifts, and you remember I told you before that it really should be translated now, there are varieties of opportunities. 
There are opportunities to minister to others, but the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit. And there are varieties of service, ways to serve people, but the same Lord, speaking of the Lord Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God, speaking of God the Father, who, <coughs> excuse me, who empowers them all in everyone. And then he says, to each, to each individual member is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And I told you that the, the phrase common good is the Greek word symphone, for the greater symphony of the church. Each have their individual part to play. Each has his instrument. And when you play your instrument, you are able to play in such a way that the uniqueness of your contribution speaks to the greater unity and fellowship and upbuilding of the body. That's what he's talking about here. And he affirms what he says to the Romans in Romans 12 by saying what he says to the Corinthians here in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one, there's that indivisibility, and has many members, that's that individuality, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were baptized into one body. And again, he's using this, this metaphor of the anatomy of the body to show us our relationship to one another. We are indivisible. If we're professing Christ, if we're members of this local body, we are indivisibly the one body in this location. But we all have a role to play. And that role to play individually with the individuality of our unique contribution makes for the wonderful cohesion, for the common good, for the symphony of the church, so that we can be the one body with individual contributions that make up a body that is discerning, that is lovely, that is showing the world how disparate people, different people, men and women, even says here Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, are all made to drink of one spirit. We have different ethnicities. We have different backgrounds. We have different approaches. But we come together for the sake of the one body. Verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And then he goes through in the next several verses to give the example of a foot or an eye, using again this body analogy. And then he says, verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And he repeats that, doesn't he? He says it in Romans. He says it here in 1 Corinthians. By the way, when you see this sense of the indivisibility of the body, we can recognize that and we say that's the unity of the body. That's the closeness that we share as one body in Christ. And that's true. But it doesn't erase your individuality. It does not. But what it does do is it allows you to see that you are a part of something that's greater than yourself. But if you're undiscerning and if you lack discretion about that indivisibility of the body, you can actually move yourself into being such an individual within the body that you pull away from that body and when you're doing your own thing, you're allowing Satan an opportunity to go through the very portal of your unique ministry contribution in the body 
and you allow for there to be on the flank on that side where you're supposed to fill Satan to drive a wedge in the fellowship. You say, well, how does that happen when you're not ministering the opportunities that God has given you, when you're not being a part, when you're even missing church services regularly, when you're not serving others, when you're not pursuing the opportunities to be a part of the body. In whatever manifestation that may take, you're allowing Satan a foothold in the body because you're not ministering your giftedness, your opportunity, your service to the body. Look at Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. He says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, using that same language that he told the Corinthians, baptized in the one body, you have put on Christ. Verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This emphasis over and over and over again about the indivisibility of the body. It doesn't mean that it's erased completely and entirely. Men are still men. Women are still women. There, there are those roles and functions in the body, but he's stressing the indivisibility that we're one body in Christ. He even uses that, that same kind of analogy even of the birth of a baby and then that that Jaden Cole progressing in the Christian life to the idea that he becomes a full-grown man this is what he says in chapter 4 verse 19 my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you some translations say until Christ is fully formed in you. So again, he's using the same idea. These little kids, they grow up steadily and surely, but as they do, as little children, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to slip. They're going to fall. They're going to stumble. And yet, they perseveringly move through the Christian life. And Paul is the one who birthed them in Christ. He was their spiritual father. He says, I'm all about wanting to see you be fully formed in Christ. That's his desire. And notice what he does in Ephesians chapter 1. Same idea. He tells all of these congregations, when he teaches them, when he meets with them, when he travels to see them, how's the body going? How's the body doing? Are you seeing the indivisibility of the body? Are you seeing the individuality of the body? Are all the the parts properly working together to form the body as one who is a body of discernment, a, a body who has great discretion, a body that's working together? Chapter 1, verse 22, And He, the Father, put all things under Christ's feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His what? His body. His body. And notice even the structural analogy changing from a little bit of the body in chapter 2 to now talking about a structure. And we'll talk about this next week for sure. He says in chapter 2, verse 21, in whom the whole structure, 
being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together. That same idea of building. Building together. So whether we're talking about building the body, giving it what it needs to grow, giving it nourishment, allowing it not to put things in its mouth that would harm or hurt the body. Here, this is a structure and it's going up brick by brick. It's being joined together by each individual part. It's growing into a holy temple in the Lord. It's being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He says in chapter 3, verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body. And then in chapter 4, of course, what we've read, this is actually sort of combining the two metaphors, the building up of the body of Christ, speaking about the human body and the metaphor of how the body grows. And then he talks about the, the concept of the building of the structure. And we're going to talk about that next week. And then he says the same thing in Colossians. And this will be the last passage that we look at tonight. And I want you to get the sense that the body grows and is maturing so that it won't be tossed to and fro by waves, by the wind of doctrine that Satan in his schemes tries to foist upon the church and this body analogy continues on. Look at what he says in Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the body, the church. And what does this church do? Well, he says, actually, using the concept of a man, remember the fullness, a full-grown man, he actually even brings that to, to bear in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But you now must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man. Not self, but man. The Greek word is anthropos. To put off the old man with its practices and have put on the new man, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Chapter 4 of Ephesians talks about the same thing. And I don't want to steal my own thunder. We'll get to that when we talk in Ephesians 4, 22 to 25. And what he's doing is using that same metaphor again of a man. So he talks about a little man, a child, growing up into full maturity. And he even talks here about putting on the new man, which is the body of Christ. The new man is that collective sense of those who are new in Christ. And here's what he says. You've got to put off these things. And he gives this list of what those things are. Chapter 3, verse 5, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then I just read the other list in verse 8. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, lying to one another. And you ought to put on the characteristics of the new man according to verse 12 put on as God's chosen ones holy and beloved compassion kindness humility meekness patience bearing with one another if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so also you must forgive and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony 
You know what he's saying? When you're maturing not only as individuals, and all of us as individuals must pursue our individual relationship with Christ. No one's going to live our Christian life for us. But as we live our Christian life individually in the context of the body, in the community, then we grow together as a mature man, and we're called even here in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4, the one new man. And as we grow, with each part properly working together, we grow to be discerning. We grow to be skilled in seeing Satan's schemes. And what we identify as Satan's schemes? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Those are his schemes. And he drives a wedge in the fellowship by promoting those things. Subtly, of course, he's a schemer. But when he, in a cunning way, begins to move in and through the congregation, trying to get select individuals within the body to not be mature men, to be those children tossed to and fro, And he challenges them in his cunning temptations to injure the body. Now, it never says, here's a way to injure your fellow brother and sister in Christ. He never works like that. What he does is he tries to ply his trade of tempting you and me to look upon self, to feed self-interest, to work on the satisfaction of your own lusts and desires. And when he does that, he will destroy the undiscerning body. And that's why we have to know sound doctrine. To the degree that he says here that you are growing up into every way by the knowledge of the Son of God. You're growing, you're discerning. Which means very, very practically, as we close tonight before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that means very practically that you and I are students of Scripture every day of our lives. We're reading. We're studying. We're memorizing Scripture. We're meditating upon Scripture. We are trying to find out those ways and means in which this cunning deceiver is trying to scheme toward not only the body but individuals to harm us so that we would take on undiscerning elements into our mouths through our eyes, in our ears, so that we are, even if unsuspecting, destroying the body before our very eyes. That's why we need to know Scripture in our hearts and in our minds to a very acute degree. And if you would bow your heads now, I'd like to ask you to do a little assessment in your life about how desirous you've been of meditating on Scripture, of reading Scripture, of the study of Scripture, to understand it, to be taught by it, to not be those children, those little kids tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Ask the Lord, Lord, are you pleased with my Bible intake? 
Are you happy and pleased with how I'm taking Scripture into my heart? Am I maturing into that fully grown man stage? And as an individual, how much am I encouraging my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to take the Word of God upon their lips from my encouragement to receive it from them and to give it to them? Am I talking to my brothers and sisters in Christ and encouraging them to know the Word of God? Am I pleading with the Lord to give me discernment, greater discretion? I don't want to be one of those who is deficient in my understanding of Scripture and allows Satan to use me in the fellowship to make the body less discernible. Lord, I ask that You would cause this body metaphor written across the pages of many, many sections of Paul's writings to strike a nerve in us to be those who want to know the Word of God, to feast upon it, to use it as a, an armament. As Paul says in Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to use it to pinpoint the strategies of Satan and to cut him off at the pass. Father, allow us not to be undiscerning. Allow us to take Your truth and to know it to such a degree that we are contributing to the health of the body. Don't allow us to take things to our lips, to our eyes, to our ears that would seek to steal and kill and destroy. But allow us, make us such hungry and thirsty people for Your Word that we are growing up in every way into Him, into Christ as our head, the head of the body. And that the head would be pleased with us indivisibly as a body and individually as each member of the congregation, each member of the body. Lord, allow us to confess and forsake our lack of reading and studying and pondering and meditating on Your truth. And give us a resolve tonight, even as we celebrate Your table, to recommit ourselves 
to reading and studying and meditating upon the bread of life. May it be so. For the sake of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We have the opportunity tonight to partake of the Lord's Supper. If you'll wait upon the men as they gather for the distribution of the bread,